Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The Mian Team. Mega Bears Fan. Something, something, something. Something, something, something else. Nothing but trail. Wait, then, did I really close all the topics? <laughs> nice. Then it's time to begin the drum roll. Da 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 da. Hello, everybody. Welcome to 2023 and Polycast episode 414. 414. Uh, that's a big number. So today we're joined with our usual paddlecade of peoples. We've got Makalua. I kept thinking that 414 was like a weird error number, but I'm thinking when we did 404. Yep. The me and team. Getting closer and closer to halfway to 1000. Mega Bears fan. Hmm. Should I have taken down my Halloween decorations by now? And me, Canis Albinus. Well, Halloween decorations would at least be uh, relatively uh, novel relative to other decorations that are likely to be still around if they are. Give the other season some extra love, I suppose. This year was the year that I learned what Epiphany was. Um, so I have now learned that it is okay to leave Christmas decorations up until January 6th. <laughs> Why 6th? Because Epiphany is the 6th of January and it is the 12th day of Christmas. Oh, okay. According to the Catholic tradition. But so help us, if those decorations are up on January 7th, you are evicted. I don't know about that. So, uh, do we have any ideas for quotes that we want for text? That aren't in the game currently, because I'm kind of annoyed by the fact that they keep adding all of these pop culture references for ancient things, like it makes sense to do it that way. Oh, but I like the one in this thread for mysticism. Yeah. (laughs) Look. Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, Do not cite the deep magic to me, Witch. I was there when it was written. I mean, it's not ancient in terms of real world time, but it's... From an ancient being, as it were, so it kind of fits. Yeah. I guess the one for civil service is okay. Diversity in council, unity in command, stated by Cyrus the Great. I don't like this one for mass media by Barack Obama that basically says modern culture sucks. Now bend over. That's a good one for uh, Railroad, I'm sure. I'm sure that would get greenlit by Braxis. Elton John for rocketry is really good. <laughs> I'm a rocket man. Rocket man burning out his fuse up here alone. Yeah, I'm amused by that one, but I'm not so, I, I, I don't know. There are a lot of great quotes that don't get used. Does anybody have any unique ones that aren't on this list, though? Hmm. What? what? I think you're asking more, more of my brain than I can caffeine right now. <laughs> yeah, I think one for code of laws could be uh, something from the U.S. Constitution. Um, although that would be a little bit more political, I think. I would say take the Tenth uh, Amendment. Or the Magna Carta. Well, I think the Tenth the Amendment makes more sense for that because of what it specifically deals with. I think you could uh, grab an old Roman version and actually put it in Latin, but intentionally mispronounce it in some butchered way. Make everybody upset. Somebody in the thread suggested Cartago de Lendest, which is Carthage must be destroyed. But <laughs> I think that's already appeared a few times. I remember that achievement in, in uh, EFR. It was fun. For those wondering, the Tenth Amendment is the one that says that if the United States doesn't have the powers written to it in the Constitution, and if the states haven't prohibited the government from doing it, 
all of those rights belong to the states and the people. Eh, no infringing on my memes. Well, it's probably the most ab- the most uh, abused Bill of Rights member, so... Yeah, probably. Well, I don't know. <laughs> That's debatable. The federal so we don't government... want to get too far into Politicast, but... Uh, the federal government does too much. <laughs> Department of Education me. Well, okay. So maybe we should uh, move along and pass along, perhaps, to a leader pass topic here. We've got uh, three Chinas. Yongle, Wu Zetan, and Unifier. Right. The, uh, they put that in gold rather than his name because he's the Unifier. Yeah, I did find that quite humorous that his name is Unifier. His subtitle is Qing Shi Huang. Yep. <laughs> KSH's new name is Unifier. All we have so far is a release date, and that's January 19th, which is five days after the record date of this episode. Damn it, Firaxis, why? Oh, we're back to that again, are we? That's, yeah. It's in the contract. That's just how it goes. Uh, I also want to say, why does Yongle not look Chinese at all? Uh, I don't see a problem. I guess the question is, what were they using as their source for the image? Because usually with um, these historic leaders like this, there's some like, you know, artwork from history that they base the uh, representation on. So uh, maybe that's just what he looks like in whatever painting or whatever they uh, used as the inspiration. Now, I can respect the unifier because that's what I do in the game. So that's probably the correct choice. I uh, would like to point out that China should not be receiving any new content. In fact, it should be banned from receiving new content due oh to all of its political issues. But, you know, that's just me. We can not involve modern politics in the game. <laughs> it's okay. I also think that there should be no Russian Civ in future Civs. Yeah, of course. Of course you think that. That being said, like, I would still like to see more out of areas that have not really been given as much attention just generally just to be interesting like we have enough variety now where you know it's probably okay to put in more obscure stuff can we have more than just two or three native american tribes per american continent i still want to see more of india i think that's probably the most underrepresented in civ across its iterations there's something like what a hundred different languages that are spoken in uh india yeah, although Africa's the king of that, but there's just there've been multiple impressive empires and cultures over the centuries there. And in previous iterations of Civ, they like lumped some of those together as if they're like one cohesive thing. <laughs> Which yeah. uh, I think I have said in previous shows is kind of like giving like the United States the totem pole. Like you could do it that the, they were physically on the same land as the US, but like, come on now. We need to remind everybody about the Native American civilization or the Holy no. Roman civilization. <laughs> I liked the Native American <laughs> Empire. <laughs> I do, however, like the approach that uh, Civ Six took for have by having um, Holy Roman emperors be leaders of certain Civs, and you know, potentially, you know, being you know the same leader could potentially be the ruler of multiple Civs or stuff like that. I think that's a a good way of doing something like the Holy Roman Empire. Oh, you know what would be obnoxious is that they go the other way around and have like 
12 different possible leaders for the Holy Roman Empire. So. Uh, there's, there's a Holy Roman Emperor <laughs> Civ, but the options for leaders are basically every European leader in the game. There you go. <laughs> no, I'm the Emperor. No, I'm the Emperor. That's what we need. We need HRE mechanics in Civ. No. No. <laughs> no. You can have, you can have would... an HRE game where, where every faction is just a uh, Holy Roman Emperor leader and they all have to fight each other to be the Holy Roman Emperor. I mean, I could certainly see that as like a custom mode, but man, putting HRE mechanics in the game would just be. <laughs> it would have to be. I'm trolling. Like... I, I'm not seriously suggesting that. It is way too narrow a scope for a Civ's time period. But I could also imagine like a election process for Holy Roman Emperor being something along the lines of like the Apostolic Palace from Civ Four, but like obviously without the like instant win uh, in the middle of the game ability. I think that would, might be cool, like in the context of a sieve itself, uh, like for HRA sieve. Like if you Make were it... to include an HRA sieve, have that election be a factor in your mechanics and have different things come available based on what happens with that. Do something with the city states. Yeah. All the city states band together and become the Holy Roman Emperor Empire. No, no, no. That never happened. <laughs> The Holy Roman revoke em- your privilege of independence. Get wrecked. The Holy Roman Empire is famous for being a a mass of cats that needed herding constantly. Well, that is a pretty good proxy for city states. To be fair, well, I'm just thinking, make it sort of like Alexander from Civ Five, where he gets a bonus towards city states, and and this being Germany, of course, and uh, gets some sort of imperial authority bonus from having lots of them as part of his retinue yeah i think some of those city-state oriented mechanics would have been a better fit for hre anyway yeah, we we've gotten any... quite far away from china do we <laughs> yeah, have do information we... on their individual bonuses we have no information at all about them all we have is this picture and the release date of january right. 29th uh, january 19th then my estimate is that the unifier is the correct choice but uh, we'll have to see my estimate is free tibet <laughs> <laughs> the Dalai Lama leads China in. <laughs> oh boy! No, no, no! <laughs> Why are we giving recognition to mainland Taiwan? <laughs> I still love that way of referring to them. Yeah, mainland Taiwan. <laughs> okay, since that's all we have, we should move on to our next old topic. It's 2023. Are you still playing Alpha Centauri? Because there are people. This is uh this looks like it's like a brand newish review. There's apparently still people reviewing Alpha yeah. Centauri, not <laughs> just like, playing wait. it. I mean, and it, it's this is going over the basics and things, but uh, oh, they did recognize back in 1999, 24 years ago. Yikes! Yeah, before numerous people were born. Uh, yes, although none of us. That's true. Yeah, nobody in the chat currently. They do give it a nine star. Nine, yeah, nine out of ten. Although it has stars beneath it, like it's four out of five stars, but it's a nine. That's confusing slightly. And the only things I didn't like about that is because the interface is not up to like modern standards, which, yeah, it's a little bit different. The visuals are dated. Well, it's a 24 year old game. I mean, come on. But it looks like it's four and a half stars, which would be nine. But yeah, it is weird to have both a numeric <laughs> score and a star stars. Score. That confused me when I got down there. At first, I was like, wait. It's probably because they're using a system that can only use five stars visually. Nah. Oh, there's also um, there's a third one too. There's a a bar on top of it 
that says overall the big blue bar. Yeah. <laughs> That, oh, goes yeah. up, that goes up 90% of the way and then has a 9.0 written next to it. Yeah, this is a, a well, lot. Well, the 9 multiple times, so it's it's really just a numerical score. And uh, and then they divided that in half so they could get 4.5 out of 5 stars. I mean, it's it's self-consistent, at least. Oh, yeah, it's not like one of them says that it's a you know three-star game and the other says it's a 90% game. And <laughs> Yeah, that would <laughs> be interesting. But the thing is, here we are in 2023. New people are still coming to the game and still really, really enjoying it. They're still, because, you know, on the pro side, it's got the solid gameplay. It's a great customization. All the leaders are memorable characters, which that's something even with Civ, some of the leaders are memorable, but some of them. Oh, Civ really... has so many. Yeah, Civ <laughs> has so many. So they're not as, the... yeah, because they did good because they only had the seven leaders originally, although they do say that the uh, Alien Crossfire leaders kind of got a little muddled which yeah some of them some of them weren't so much but some of them the backstory just kind of eh? you know, I, I do remember that and they my did one like criticism of this article in particular is that they only mentioned nerf stapling and passing but not how it's an objectively <laughs> correct and moral decision that you should be making in the game anytime it makes sense yeah yeah 24 years later he's still nerf stapling you don't vote phil for your i, I resemble leader. that remark and i would appreciate if you did not slander me didn't you play a game recently where you purged all the humans <laughs> only at the end uh-huh. and i was the orcs i was making a continent for the orcs it was the the intention of my nation this is the u4 and mod by the way they let you uh do some questionable things to other species and that some questionable things some questionable things yeah only a few questionable things or more Just like one questionable things. thing at massive scale perhaps What's Don't worry, there were still some humans left at the end. Uh, just a little war crimes between friends. Yeah. He wasn't at war, though. <laughs> uh, uh, there were plenty of wars to get there. It doesn't have to be war to be a war crime, necessarily. Or does it make it a peace crime? I don't know. It makes it, uh, it makes it crimes against humanity. I didn't see anything in my legal code against doing it, okay? Yeah, I don't know that orcs are too concerned with crimes against humanity. <laughs> in that game, some of them are. Yeah, but we didn't, we took care of those earlier. Anyway, where can where can one even legally purchase a copy of Alpha Centauri at this point? I don't think it's on Steam, is it? It would pr- if it was anywhere, maybe Origin because EA owns the rights. But I'm not or, even sure about that. Or, or good old games. Yeah, GOG. Yeah, would be my best guess. Yeah, but GOG would be where I would check first. But I don't know if it has. Yeah, it. Don't don't go to eBay. That would be crazy. <laughs> eBay. Hey, people still sell old games over there in box and all that. That's true. Yeah, if you want a physical copy, I guess you could try and channels like that. But oh, it is indeed on good old games. I just it is also checked. on uh, the EA app for Windows. Ew. I think it has games. a lot of stuff now. Good old games has Warlords Two uh, Deluxe and Warlords Three as well. We've been uh, talking about petitioning good old games to get Civ One and Two. So we can actually play them again. Hey, the the top result on eBay for Alpha Centauri is an install disc that is only twenty bucks. So see, there you go. Does anybody and still have some, disc drives in their computers? And some of these are are going for just like a couple bucks. Like here's one a few down. That's a oh, it's just a jewel case. That's why. Okay. No, uh, I haven't put a yeah. CD drive in uh, since like my there's last a, two builds. There's a CD only without the box that is four dollars and then like three below that from a different seller is just the jewel case for a buck 25 so for five or six bucks on ebay you could get 
the CD with the with the original case. Did they actually discontinue the Origin app? It did. Wow. Oh, is it now called some? Oh, so it's so they still have an app type thing, but it's not called Origin anymore. No, it's now called the all new EA app for Windows. That's what I mean. At least they're not calling it Origin anymore because that. <sighs> Quit using the name of a much better creative company than you. Well, what we're looking at is the future of Epic. Hopefully, we're anyway. phasing out the Epic Game Store and replacing it with the EA or the Epic app for Windows. Totally not Chinese malware trademark. Yeah. Better idea. Go play 24-year-old game that does not have to be run off the Windows Store things. No Chinese spyware. Also, for the record, I don't hate Chinese. I hate the government. Yes. That's like that with a lot of places. It's not the people, it's the government. Anyway, is there anything else in this article we should talk about? Oh, they did mention uh, sort of philosophical stuff that's going on in the background about as you're advancing through this, you're... and trying to get in contact with planet, but you're also asking deep questions about the nature of humanity and things. And should we even be doing this? And, you know, there's a little more beneath the surface than normally when you're doing a forex. It actually has a story. Yeah, there's a story. There's some themes. If you wanted something more modern, the closest thing is beyond Earth. Well, and means- uh, philosophy behind it, too. Mm-hmm. So a, a story that actually has, like, substance, not just, like you know, vapid plot. So the green worse, guys are the bad guys. Go get them. Or worse yet, inconsequential lore that, you know, is just fluff text that has absolutely nothing to do with the actual game you're playing currently. You know, in my game, the green guys were the good guys. I, I am, I, I am uh, attracted to the part where it says that, uh, you know, we are talking about deep philosophical stuff and we're not talking about Everything in a very one-sided corporate greed is bad. Clinging to traditions is bad. Pushing for change for the sake of change is always good. You know, that kind of stuff. It gives you the opportunity, I I think. Does this game let you, like, navigate it in your own way and not, like, go all in towards one direction? Sure, you can even completely swivel directions if you want to. But it's not efficient. Sometimes efficiency isn't the point. have to win. Must win must optimize to win See, it's like it's like the arc corporation and beyond earth yes the arc <laughs> corporation is the largest corporation and yes they own a lot of stuff and a lot of people work on arc totally controlled areas but arc is not in it solely for just making money uh if you read their wikipedia or their civipedia article they actually do seem to care about what they're doing and they are not adverse to taking hundreds of years of losses, even if, uh, if, and if the outcome is worth the trouble. Yeah, but you shouldn't have to like go into the Civilopedia to find stuff like that out. It yeah. would be kind of nice if you know the personality of the faction were represented within the game somewhere maybe, while you're playing it. Maybe more than one voice line per leader would be great. That would have helped a lot. Yes. Remember, yeah. no village no village has ever been ruined by trade. Yeah, whereas in Alpha Centauri, each new tech had one of the leaders talking about it within, you know, the context of whatever tech you had just researched. That Some would have been excellent. Them. 
Well, Beyond yeah. Earth tried to do that too, but Beyond Earth made the mistake of just having like a single narrator narrate all of them. So it like, yeah. wasn't, and you don't yeah. recognize any of these names because none of these names are like real historic people that like, you know, and they're not ever brought up anywhere else in the game. So you have to do like a whole lot of digging through, you know, extraneous reading material to figure out the context behind any of those quotes. Whereas Alpha Centauri would have the leader in the game read their relevant quotes so that you know who's saying it and have that, you know, extra degree of, of context behind it. And then it also helps to inform that leader's personality, whether or not you actually encounter, you know, an analogous situation in the game itself. Yeah. You got to know their personality long before you ever met them in game because of the quotes. So you kind of knew what to expect, how they were going to react to whatever you were doing. And I don't know if like more development time would have helped with that. You know, if they were just working on a quick schedule, they didn't have time to put in stuff like that. You know, who knows? I'm pretty maybe sure maybe they the, just didn't think of it. I'm pretty sure the issue with Beyond Earth in that context was they weren't sure how to do it in a way that wouldn't be obtrusive to people who weren't looking for it to be Alpha Centauri. Like they had to step they had to do the balance between futuristic civ and homage to an, a much older game with a much older audience. So uh, there's that. And also they did kind of only have like a year or so after civ six was finished to make the game. So it was a yeah. beyond earth is literally a total conversion mod made in house. And yeah. And civ it was civ five, not civ six. Yeah. Civ yeah. five, but they may not have been able to, shoehorn in enough elements that would make it more relatable into the Civ 5 system. Hard to say. Yes, it is a sadly underdeveloped and a little bit underrated game. It's, I don't think it's underdeveloped. It's better than its well, I think well, it's better than its reputation. Well, and, yeah, I think in playing with other Civ people, we, we've talked about it. It's like it needed one more expansion, and that probably would have... And, and just a little bit more of what we were just talking about, just a little bit yeah. more of the personal, you know touch for the stuff that's fluff like it's just all of it is so stale and impersonal like just a little bit more you know thought going into it would have made a whole lot of difference but it's tough to do that when you you know have to turn something around in like a year or 18 months or however heck long the development time for that was not very long yeah not long at all yeah and there was like enough enough copies of beyond earth sold to get it the first expansion but then the second exp that expansion didn't sell well enough to justify that so they're like We'll just go on and do Civ 6 stuff now. So. Which is also sad because that expansion was a really good expansion. Yeah, it was and probably it the, a, yeah, it was probably it the a best Civ expansion ever made. Yeah, it introduced a lot of ideas that I wish had made it into Civ 6. Yes, can we please have the war score system back? Can we have the respect and fear system back? Yeah, that's probably the single best idea that was in it was like dividing relations into both fear and respect so that you have friends who actually like you, but also enemies who dislike you, but are also so afraid of you because you're so powerful that they will give you what you want because they don't want you to take it by force. I recall a war score system needed some work, but it was conceptually a very good idea to like add something like that. It needed work, but it worked really well if, like, you were conquering a Civ and just wiping it out. You would get some of their tech, and you would yeah. get a lot of their stuff, and that was really nice, because why is it that if I don't understand some of a particular affinity, would I not be able to pull it out of what the ruins of what I destroyed taking it? 
It's not like I blew up every computer in their civilization. Yeah, it's just a matter of how much imbalance and such, but yeah. I don't remember it being super uh, uh, oppressive. No, it wasn't. Uh, not in Beyond Earth, but you do have to watch that because like, Conquest is already strongly incentivized in pretty much yeah, all these this, games. This is why in, uh, well, we could take away tech and stuff in earlier civs. They took it out after a certain point. I forget which one they took it out from, but it's like, Five. no, that's a little okay, yeah. Because it is really a little too powerful. To just, why do yeah. research? Just make just make an army and go curb stomp everything, and then suddenly, hey, they did the research for me. You were probably not going to uh, be able to get much in peace deals in Civ Four already, uh, in terms of tech. It was super expensive, so it was really out by then. All in, in practice. Yeah, yeah correct. I remember, I remember it not being too hard though to, to trade techs with you know friendly civs. They oh, using... trading was a completely different matter because yeah. they they valued techs a lot. But you could also trade techs, which they valued a lot. But to like buy techs with money, or especially to win a war so hard that uh, you could demand techs without like, <laughs> and, like just based on the fact that you're crushing them, that was pretty tough to do without like eliminating the target. <laughs> because they value the techs so much. Yeah, more than their lives. A lot more than their lives, generally. Well, to be fair, if you teach the invading army the secret of gunpowder, you're probably not going to have a life to value too much longer. I mean, they're hosed anyway. Like, I'm, I'm talking like they're holding out on like two, three cities. They're about to get wiped off the map and they won't give you like a tech that five other civs have. Like, it's that kind of. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're well, saying. I guess in a sense, by giving it such a high value, they programmed spite into the AI. Or they just they didn't want you to consolidate gains from conquest too quickly is probably the no, reason. sure that's the practical reason but the fun reason is the ai now knows how to spite because in real life if that was your situation you'd probably burn your library down just for just because f that guy yeah well i mean people do that I and mean, people like delete their capital fort and dominions and stuff if you'll let them <laughs> you wanted this developed level five fort nope not allowed yeah. that's tricky to actually do though because uh you can't do that while you're under siege <laughs> So the takeaway here is go play some old games. They're still fun, even if it's not as pretty or the interface is a little clunky. Be not warned, just the uh, interface for Alpha Centauri is very interesting. It doesn't follow <laughs> any modern conventions, really. So it, it's kind of a fight to play it. And remember, everyone, it. nerf stapling is the correct way to play. <sighs> Let's go on to another old game that just got a Search new release. Search your heart. You know it to be true, Mackie. No. <laughs> yeah, well, if you are into uh, old games, especially old civilization-adjacent games, uh, there is also a uh, fan-made version of the old-school colonization called Free Call, which uh, I guess just had its 1.0 release uh, back on January 1st, or will be releasing soon. Has it actually released by now? Uh I guess the link I gave is from January of twenty or May of twenty twenty, so uh, maybe yeah. I should go to Post, the... There's there's updated, there's new replies to that thread like as of like yesterday. So on January first, they some they replied in that thread that free call version one will be releasing soon. It's uh, post number fourteen in the thread you linked. So, and then after that is is them talking about you know release information and uh, uh, bug fixes and patches and stuff. But I. I'm not sure if it actually did release or if it's still imminent. 
Monday, January 2nd. On this day, 20 years ago, we made the first public release of Free Call. Today, we are pleased to announce Free Call 1.0. Um, does it say that it's released yet? It says released in the title. See if I can download a 1.0. Uh, yes, there. I guess so. There was also a. Yeah, if you go to the download, ago, if you can go to the download page and just literally download Free Call 1.0. Yeah, uh, there's also what looks like a little mini review on a PC Games N, which was also linked in the thread that was uh, posted five days ago as of the uh, as of this recording, uh, and they say that there is the the 1.0 release. So it came out sometime in the last week. But yeah, basically, it's a straight up fan made remake of the original colonization. Uh, the one that the Civilization Four colonization game was based off of because there, there was a colonization game before that. So if you played the Civilization Four colonization, then, you know, this is a similar thing, but with the, you know, 2D sprite based graphics. And as I understand it, it's almost a, compl a perfect recreation of it. Yeah, I've never played the original colonization, but I have played the Civ 4 one, and I do like it quite a bit. I've, I've still, on occasion, have gone back and, and played it a little bit more from time to time. I did as well. I played quite a bit. I even added John Adams to from that to my regular Civ 4 game, because why not? They made art, might as well put the art in. Yeah, sure. next up on our topic list we've got a video from white and nerdy tv who i'll be honest i've never heard of before i watched this video and he does a reaction and analysis to the great commanders pack from the leaders pass so he talks about nadar shah and tokugawa and saladin magnificent that's how you pronounce it i don't know but he basically uh, just goes over the stuff that we probably have already gone over. Um, specifically, uh, that Tokugawa, while not particularly designed for being a fighter, is really good at leading the game because of his abilities. Uh, I don't remember exactly what he said about Solomon, but I don't think he's very good personally. And uh, Well, if I remember correctly, Solomon had the problem of like not having access to like the other Ottoman abilities that made them really good because they were attached to the other leader, right? Like you don't get the Janissaries yeah. and stuff like that. You don't get the Janissaries and you don't get the custom governor. Yeah. So, those are pretty helpful things to have. Well, then, it looks like uh, potato McWhiskey earlier this week was doing a run as the Ottomans and it's like Ottoman artillery apparently is the key. If we get Janissaries, just blow everything up. Yeah. Their ability is the cannon thing, isn't it? The civilization ability is about cannons. I think so, yeah. Civ 6 Ottomans. Um, Civ ability. Plus 50% production bonus to artillery. And, okay, whoever wrote this is... I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to guess that they are an ESL person. Just because it didn't make sense. Let's try it from the wiki. 50% bonus production to siege units. Siege units gain plus 5 combat strength against defensible districts. Conquering a city doesn't cause that city to lose production, lose population. Plus 1 amenity and plus 4 loyalty per 
turn for cities founded that are not Ottoman, or cities not founded by the Ottomans. Conquer everything. So here. the ability is people like being conquered by the Ottomans. Yeah. Is my takeaway. So if you don't like the loyalty mechanic griefing you, this will you'll get griefed a little bit less while uh, running this. And um, for those who don't remember, the Suleiman uh, Magnificent ability is plus 15% science and gold in a heroic age, and they get the plus four combat strength uh, versus civilizations not in a golden age, even though uh, the Ottomans are not also in a golden age. Yeah, you have to, like, both not be, right? Yeah, both not, not being in a golden or heroic age. Yeah. Dislikes those in Dark Ages. Well, Dark Ages are not Golden Ages, so you do get the combat bonus against them. Yeah, that's a good thing for the AI to capitalize on. He looks at your Dark Age empire and is like, you suck. You'll be much happier as an Ottoman. Yeah. We can take your children, force them into the military, and then send them to the far parts of the empire where they'll die. They might not die. There's a chance they'll live. They may not die, but there's a 100% chance they're never coming home. And that might be for the best. Maybe, but not for the parents. And send the parents, too. Take quantity ideas. Oh, family road trip. Yeah. You're going to be going fight, fighting uh, rogue corsairs in the Mediterranean. But I'm from Serbia. Get Good. over it, kid. So now it's time to talk about score victory. Talk about what? Score victory. Yeah, what, what's that? <laughs> Maybe someone can explain it. I assume Mackie is opening the page. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Trying to... Too many tabs. Good grief. Computer, please. Oh, over on Syphonetics, uh, Insidious Mage is like, so anybody else like score victory? They've tried a couple of games and leaders that don't have victory types they're particularly good at. And they set the turn limit to 285, which they say that's about when they normally end their games anyway. Is it normally 300 or 350? The standard era game. 400, I think, right? At 500. Oh, okay. And the um, quick speed, I believe, ends at 330. Oh, goodness. They made it really. Okay, they made it super short. I mean, they are right in the sense that probably by the time they get to turn 285, it's technically over, even though it's not, you know, over, over. I mean, you can win outright by then. Easily. For sure. Yeah. But they had fun doing that. Instead of having to hyper-focus on a specific adjective, you just keep accumulating all the points. They didn't have to worry about min-maxing, and they're like, you know, I think I like this better. I mean, I guess that is one way to end a game that's over, is to just decide it on the score. Yeah, well, if they've got the... uh turn limit set down anyway they're they know when they get that point it's going to be if they have the highest score so they're trying for score but they're not having to do something like when you're doing a culture victory and having to min max the crap out of everything which yeah i felt the bar playing to a score victory is something that i actually used to do a lot with um civ 4 and a little bit in civ 5 when i just felt like uh like role playing a little bit more instead of like you know yeah like you said playing to a particular victory because then i could just you know kind of do whatever i felt the empire needed me to do regardless of whether it pointed me in a specific victory direction because i very much missed the uh gosh what was it the domination victory type or conquest victory whichever was the one in civ 4 that was like you had to control 60 percent of domination yeah 60 percent of the land or 60 percent of the population or conquest was eliminating or vassaling everybody 
Yeah, I, I missed you, like a vassal chain. It was not too uncommon to reach the requirements for domination and conquest simultaneously. Yeah, I, I really missed that victory condition because I, I felt it gave a lot more leeway to just play as you wanted to and pivot in different directions as you needed to rather than just like, oh, well, got to build nothing but science or got to build nothing but culture. Yeah, but if you had that much of the map, you, you could win pretty much any way you wanted to generally. So it's just a way of ending a conquest game sooner. And I did like it better than like controlling all the original capitals. That's a little bit, I don't know. There was always that one capital that was just like, nope, that's not happening. Yeah, yeah I feel there's like that, but also like domination feels like you're you, you, <laughs> the way you do it in like five and six, you're like ninjaing capitals, whereas domination in four, you are dominating. You own way more than any historical empire. Yeah, I feel like uh, owning half <coughs> of the game's capitals or more than half of the game's capitals like should be sufficient to demonstrate that you've uh, you've dominated. Well, if you're if you just go with capitals, though, the problem with that is that like sometimes like a good chunk of the capitals will be coastal. So you, you can literally just snipe uh, like on a single turn. You just declare on like four AI and move into their capital. And they only get a chance to react before you win. Like, yeah, so I'm not true. as big a fan of that. Whereas like controlling 60 plus percent of the landmass. Yeah, you that's, have to that's not something you do overnight. Or if it is, then you earned it. You definitely are dominating if you're rolling people up like a blanket to that extent. Yeah, and and you definitely have to be taking more than just the capital. Like you're you're taking whole countries at that oh, point, yeah, not, not sure. just the you know capital and its adjacent countryside. Yeah, yeah, that's a victory you you pretty much earned when you got it and so far. But it did also just let you end the game, which was nice. So yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess that is one way to, to wrap the game up, though. Uh, my only problem with it is sometimes score doesn't reflect position. It would be kind of nice if uh, instead of being able to just set the end turn on which the score is calculated, there was a way to like set a score as the victory score, like first to achieve so-and-so score wins, regardless of what turn it happens on. Oh, yeah. That could work, too. That would require the score to be more reflective of what actual power looks like. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it would. Done. But if you already have a thing where you're just arbitrarily cutting off the game at some arbitrary turn number and calculating the score, then it, it's like the same problem. So it would be at least nice to have the flexibility of being like, OK, well, if no one is a clear winner, then the game goes on a little longer as opposed to just like, you know, oh, you know, it's turned what do they say 285. Uh you know, I'm winning by two points. I win, <laughs> even though there's still like the whole, even though there's still the whole industrial and modern and information eras left to go in the tech tree. And by the way, you get wrecked. <laughs> and you can also do like a, a was is it tennis or volleyball, where like you have to not only score more points, but like you have to win by like two points or something yeah. like that. Volleyball. Is, that. is that volleyball? Yeah, you could do something like that. Where also, if you're you have to you have to reach a certain score and also be ahead by so much, and then you win. So it's not just like, oh, I, I got to, you know, the magical score of 500 points and, you know, the second place person's at like 498. I win. I think it's also true in tennis. Yeah, but it's two yeah. sets, not just two points. If memory serves, I think it's also true in badminton, but who cares about that? It was the only sport in high school I was good at.
though it's time to go into the research lab now. Indeed. So now we have ideas for victories, such as red victory and yellow victory and blue victory. Red, yellow, and blue? Yeah. I thought it was well, red, green, and blue victory. Well, I, I decided to mix it up a little bit. Um, I think it's more um, red, white, and blue victory, red victory, uh. and orange victory. <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> because yeah, so what there, is... there's a video here that was uh, proposing some different ways to approach the end game of Civ. And yeah, the, at one point, it really did feel like Hearts of Iron, like, pick your ideology. <laughs> the idea was, uh, because there are three ideologies that have their priority toward the end of the game, i.e. capitalism, communism, and fascism, that there should be victory conditions involving those three ideologies such that the player would no longer be needed according to the ideals that would initiate such a victory so uh the idea being uh in we already have a, a word for a victory like that it's called conquest <laughs> well for the sake of argument let's uh talk about this the the non-conquest way well here the problem is though like if there if you are one of these ideologies like you're a fascist or you're a communist and there's a fascist or communist opposed to you in the world you can't really say that as a leader, you've done your job and now you can just walk away and there's nothing left uh, to do in this world. Well, <laughs> if there's a giant hostile sieve of a different ideology that is willing and possibly able to do something about yours. True. But the idea, I would assume, is that you conquer everyone else before that. Then you've won already. <laughs> well, that that's the main criticism of this concept is that you're just dragging out the game. But the idea is to set requirements that you reach the ideology's utopia state to win the game. Or so like if you had capitalism, you could do like what it was in Alpha Centauri, where particularly if you were playing as Morgan, you were trying to go for where you uh, owned the energy market, which would be effect like you owned all the stock market or something like that. Like you had yes. so much, your country had so much wealth and power that you oh. could just buy everybody off. That's the monopoly victory. That's not a capitalist victory. Well, um, the way they're talking about the the capitalist victory in this particular case was you get to the point where the government, i.e. the player, has privatized all of the actions in the economy and in the game such that the leader is no longer needed, i.e. the private market can take care of everything itself. And at that point, you would have achieved the victory condition of capitalism because you're no longer needed to make the demand or the command orders that would go against such an ideology. And yeah, for, this doesn't make sense if there's any other states in the world. Yeah. And then for fascism, you would conquer everybody and um, make everybody uniform, uniformly identify as a single group that is considered the in-group and that's their idea of utopia and the communist one is where the leader no longer has to do anything because the communes take care of it i, I don't see how also like things like score or culture aren't abstractions of this that fit at the scale of uh, civ they absolutely already. are that's why um this topic to me feels like it's more about talking about the ideologies themselves rather than the actual gameplay things because 
it seems like when he's talking about victories, he's not thinking about the gameplay consequences of what he's doing. Yeah, well, that's kind of an important consideration, though, obviously. Yeah, because what is the point of doing something like fascism if you're just going to do conquest anyway to do it? It's like, but you well, all of these sound like they need conquest to be realized because otherwise you're you still have something to do, which is defend yourself militarily against the other ideologies. Now, you could like maybe further stratify the tangible benefits and drawbacks of each of these in a civ context. But like, not only is that a landmine to some extent, but Civ's been doing that for a while now. I was going to say, and, Civ uh, Five had ideologies that were really well fleshed out. Yeah, although, I mean, again, in the game sense, you kind of have to take liberties, because, uh, like, you're effectively running a command economy in Civ, like, from start to finish. Anyway. Well, yeah. And, but... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're obviously going to make the command economies way more effective <laughs> in the game than they would be in practice. In part because you're already running one, and in part because if they didn't, you'd have no incentive to pick them, ever. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, the other alternative is to go the exact opposite way, like what Civ 2 tried to do, and actually make it so that if you do have a democratic government, you actually are subject to democratic processes and do not have total command control over your uh, <laughs> government and economy. Did you want to declare war? Nope, got to run it by Congress. Screw well, that. Well, sort of. You could, uh, you could play around that a little bit, but... I mean, yeah, like hypothetically, like you could go all out on a design philosophy like that and you could have, you know, the game uh, set up or designed so that, yeah, if you're in like a democratic kind of government, like, you know, even like your settlers are like NPC units that go out and settle their own cities and you don't get to say where your cities oh. are. <laughs> and then they and, city placement, man. And then they build their own things. And like the best you can do is maybe like gently guide you know, point in the general direction of this is where I want you to go, but, you know, whatever, you're free to go wherever you want. It would be interesting to see how many players enjoy that experience. Oh, I like, not Having the game's outcome depend on what the player does, aka agency, is a pretty important thing, especially in a strategy title, which uh, Civ still calls itself, and still is, but it wouldn't be if it's like that, probably. No, it would be more of a society simulator. And we know how those go, don't we, civil, si uh, Sim City societies? <laughs> if anyone remembers that game, which nobody with a uh, good memory should. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I've even heard of it, but uh, it, was, it wouldn't be my cup of tea, so it wouldn't be something I would like look to. It was the Sim City that came out between Sim City 4 Rush Hour and Sim City 2003, the death knell of Maxis. Uh. And it was not Sim City at all. You didn't zone things, and you didn't worry about any of the things you did in Civ in the SimCity series. What you did was you provided services and tried to provide a budget by using the services in a certain way. So it was not SimCity at all. Well, and I think if I remember correctly, I didn't play it, but if I remember correctly from like previews and reviews, you were also trying to like appease various demographics. Yes. Uh, yeah, like each neighborhood had like a different demographic or whatever, and you had to do, you know, services and policies that made the m most demographics happy at the same time in order to like succeed at the, uh, the scenario. It was like identity politics. The game was not fun. The HOA the game, except it's the whole city that's the HOA. Ooh, <laughs> who doesn't like HOAs, though? To, to be fair to civilization, though, like, uh, you know, the ideas of self-governance are actually still pretty new. And like the vast majority of human civilization 
has been some variety of, you know, command government economy. That's a long conversation. But generally, yes. I don't yeah, know how you get away from it in games, though. Because, like, yeah. you want your decisions to matter in games. So, like, you make them more command economy-like by necessity. Like, there's a reason why I will never call Civ a historical game. Because no game that has that kind of model can possibly be historical. Because the economy doesn't work that way. Well, I would call it an historical game. I would not call it a history game. It is historical in that it is, like, loosely based and inspired on history but not yeah. historical in the sense that it actually replicates history see i would flip those words around it's a game based on figures and ideas and countries from history but it's not historical in the sense that it doesn't follow history yeah okay i mean you might be right yeah that might be we might also be quibbling words. yeah it's so, always fun in uh, paradox. paradox game arguments are always fun when it gets to this part oh no Let's move on quickly. <laughs> we don't want to be another Paradox Plaza Echo whatever they have. <laughs> Bell Chamber Echo something. <laughs> we have one final topic for today, and that topic is... Yes, uh, negative traits or drawbacks or banes or whatever you want to call them in Civilization games. Do you like them or do you not like them? Uh, there is a thread from back in November uh, on Civfanatics titled Civilization Designed with Negative Bonuses uh, asking, you know, what do you think of civs that have uh, drawbacks like inherent to their abilities uh, if their abilities are very powerful? Um I guess the classic example uh, would maybe be Gandhi in Civilization V, where you actually got more unhappiness from, I think it was number of cities. Yeah, but, it was the best wide Civ. In, but, uh, uh, but yes, I, I, it, what, was, what, it was we the calculated best. There, was a, there was a cutoff point, an inflection point, where once you got your cities to a specific size, and I think it was six population, uh, it's just all bonuses from then on. It's just... Yeah. India was one of the least popular civs, but it was also one of the best for growing. Right, like, because there was a misconception that founding a lot of cities would hurt you, and that was absolutely not the case unless those cities were just really small cities throughout the entire game. Unless you Once were you, doing infinite city sleaze, it was not a problem. Well, I mean, one of the problems was when Civ when Civ Five did first release, uh, so you sleaze infinite city spam was like the the meta because every city center like generated like plus two gold and plus two science or something like that yep so you can see the, that the, on phil's youtube channel yeah so the the meta when vanilla civ 5 first released was to build all cities three tiles apart covering every available tile on the map and just farm golden science and then win the game and uh yeah gandhi was definitely not good at that but then once they you know after like six or eight months or whatever when they started changing the happiness rules and and they took away the free um gold and science from city centers well uh it was every two months and every subsequent two months until the first expansion came out and the game was different every time so civ 5 is kind of hard to chart the history of yeah, there was a, a lot of uh, of back and forth on like just the design philosophy of the entire game for like that first year after release. Um, but yeah, so Gandhi was very bad for the meta, 
the optimal meta of the game when it first released. But after that year and when the first expansion came out and, you know, the game was more about building like four or five core cities and doing tradition policy, then suddenly Gandhi became very, very good because once you got to six population, you were just half happiness or a half, sorry, double happiness or half unhappiness or whatever it was for like the rest of the game. And it was like golden ages every, you know, <laughs> all the time for, for India. Um, so like that would probably be the classic example. I don't know if it's necessarily the best example of like a drawback. Like I'm trying to think of, I, I know it's there's the some most civs prominent in... example. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know there are some civs in civ six that have like limitations. I guess maybe another good example of civ, yeah, and another good example in Civ Five might be Venice, like not being able to settle your own cities would be a drawback, uh, yes. I guess. But one of my favorite conquer. memories was drunk in Venice. <laughs> Elaborate. Uh, oh, that's uh, that was that one uh, turncast where I, I had a lot of alcohol, picked uh, honor on Venice, and went on a conquering spree, and went and wound up with the high score at the end somehow. <laughs> That was oh, a that, fun, fun run for sure. It was certainly one way to acquire new cities with Venice. Yeah, the only I mean, you way to acquire them or conquer them. <laughs> no, you could use merchants too. I, I did get one. I did get a second city using the merchant method to like take a city state. Uh, but everything else was uh, persuaded to join me by force. <laughs> but I'm trying to think of in in Civ Six if there's any good examples of civilizations with like a built-in drawback in their ability like I, i'm pretty sure there's a couple i'm just totally spacing on who they are i don't know if any of you three mali yeah congo. what was the what was the mali's yeah congo i guess would be one where you can't found a religion and considering that religion is a victory condition um that actually is a pretty substantial handicap mali gets minus production but plus gold yeah, yeah. okay so i guess that would be a, a good example I, I feel like there's a couple more but i'm not I'm like again i'm spacing egypt uh, and civ 5 had uh the golden tomb that replaced the temple which was like okay you get a few extra yields from your temple building but if your city gets conquered the enemy gets more gold yeah it was an open invitation to conquer an egyptian city with a with a tomb so there haven't been too many examples of this in Civilization, but uh, there's plenty of examples of this sort of design in lots of other games, uh, especially I, I play a lot of board games that have lots of examples where uh, a faction has like a, a bonus power and then some some drawback and every faction in the game has those, you know, and they, you know, they balance each other out and play against each other. And, um, you know, that could be very good design, but like you have to like, you know, think about it and kind of design your entire faction system around that idea. I, I don't know if you necessarily want like all civs to have or most civs to have bonuses, but then you've just got like a couple that have like a, a explicit drawback because uh, that does make those particular factions then look less appealing to players. Even if like with the example of, of Gandhi and Civ Five, even if it is like an easy thing to overcome and then just get lots of snowballing benefits from once you've overcome it, it it's there's a, a knee jerk reaction from a lot of players that, ooh, I don't wanna I don't want to play this faction. They they're not good. I think that's okay though, especially when you have so many uh playable civs to have some that require more nuance to be able to do well with. Well, that's true. Yeah, I guess when you're getting up to the point where you have like 60, 70, 80 leaders, uh, where where is Civ, uh, Civ 6 at right now in terms of leader count? We're, we're a at, lot. We're, we're somewhere in there, right? Like 70, 80 leaders? Yeah, we have a friggin' ton, so I think it's okay to have some that are like 
off-putting to you, uh, rookies or whatever. Yeah, and maybe not so much if you've got like 10 leaders, right? And like one of them has like an explicit drawback. It's kind of like, eh, I don't, I don't know about that one. But yeah, yeah there are plenty of options in, uh, in Civ Six. that's for sure. After the leader, after the free offer of Julius Caesar and the upcoming leader pass, the total number of leaders will be 67, the largest in any playable, largest number of playable leaders in any civilization game to date. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely, I for one, am definitely not opposed to the idea of having, you know, explicit drawbacks or penalties for a sieve as, as long as it's, as long as it's thematic and it's like an interesting play style. Uh, like some of the, the actually most interesting civilizations in the, in Civ 5 and Civ 6 kind of fall under that category. Like there was the aforementioned Venice was one of the most unique and interesting civs to play as in Civ 5. And then in Civ 6, like, you know, uh, what are the, uh, Maori, or yeah, Maori, uh starting out on the ocean uh i don't know some people might look at that as a penalty but i mean it's definitely something that differentiates the uh uh, maori from every other uh faction in the game for sure yeah like oh you have to go find your your starting uh settlement spot like that's uh you know that could be a pretty substantial handicap especially if uh, you're unlucky and every direction you you try going there's like a sieve already there yeah, enough people actually like that that they were, were trying to suggest what if we had a nomad sieve you know you're roaming around on land in the same way i mean maybe that's yeah. a trait nomad either sailor nomad or land nomad <laughs> that sounds weird when i say that but it's probably a better name for that yeah for sure and that would also probably fit well with a um you know a, a culture that has a you know nomadic or pastoral history where you know yeah maybe you do start out nomadic you know, even if all the gameplay mechanics are geared towards settling down and building cities, at least at the start of the game, you know, you represent that that aspect of that mm. culture's history. Yeah, you get a built-in buffer for a few turns before you actually settle your city and you have more chance to choose maybe a very nice location. Like maybe you needed to go three tiles over and then, oh my gosh, here's a wonder. Here's all of this stuff. Wow. No. Just stay nomadic. Be Genghis Khan. Well, people have right. asked to do that before too, so... Future yeah. Civ, maybe. Like how in uh, CK2, it's like, it's, he sounds like a nice guy <laughs> when he spawns in. There is a, a post a little bit down this thread uh, from MDL5000 saying, frankly, I find a lot of Civ 6 bonuses nearly incomprehensible, at least at first glance. Uh, I definitely sympathize with um, that user. I do think a lot of these abilities are way too wordy. Uh, there's a few civilizations in the game where when you're on the game setup screen, picking your civilization, they have like that little pop out window that shows the leader and all their abilities. Uh, there are some leaders and civilizations where the, the text of the ability does not fit on that screen and you can't scroll it either. So, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that, like that's going to be more succinct there generally and still uh, convey the mechanic. Yeah. So definitely I, I would definitely prefer to have slightly simpler more elegant abilities you know as opposed to you know some of these factions where it's just like plus one yield on this tile and plus one yield on that tile and plus one yield on on that improvement and you know like oh my goodness what do i do with this sieve you work those tiles man well yeah but uh yeah some of those overwhelmingly long ability um explanations are also a little bit of a a, you know off-putting uh yeah i agree as a player and I, I think some of them are much longer than they need to be to convey what abilities you're actually getting. Like, 
I, I don't think that the in, in, I don't know. Maybe that's not true for all of them, but some of them just they're wordy. Yeah, the the actual writing it's it's a simple idea, but the actual way that Firaxis's writers write some of these is like I, there's got to be a more succinct way that you could have put that. Yeah, press this button if you want to hear the high prose version. But yeah, I, I, the concept's been around for a while, and I, I think it's here to stay, and I think that's a good thing too, in terms of like getting benefits at the cost of uh, pretty significant trade-offs in some cases. But I'm sure it won't be like every sieve. No one's going to want that. Anything else we want to say about that? I think we're ready. Okay. I'm starting to worry if I cut out on Discord. Nope. Well, nope. in that case... Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on episode 414 from the Me and Team, and we were joined by Canis Alvinus. I hate medication. Makalua. More caffeine required. Please insert medication. And Mega Bears fan. Okay, I guess I'll go take down those Halloween decorations now. Good plan. Kenor is a continent for orcs. Is it? It is now. Murdering people. Nuh-uh. Didn't you murder, like, 500 other races, too? I, I pretty much set everything that wasn't Orc to Purge. <laughs> and so how, how many people lived in the Empire of Ambinar? Well, we don't really consider them people. Oh, boy. <laughs> Canars for Orcs. <laughs> oh, great. Also, Mackie, I sent your pop filter in the mail today. Ah. Pop filter? Yes, I can put it in front of the mic and so I'm not, like, spitting on it or something. <laughs> oh, that. There was one episode sometime back where there was a lot of hissing from Mackie, and I was like, oh, we just give her one of my uh, extra mic things, see if that helps. I don't know why, but, like, the first thing that came to mind for me was, like, pop music. And I'm like, that can't be right. <laughs> and the second thing that came to mind for me was, uh, like, pops as in the orcish pops, like we were just talking about from Ambinar or something. Oh, and I'm like, geez. that also doesn't seem right. <laughs> so it took me a moment to like piece together <laughs> what might actually be referenced from that. Uh, I'm sure Mackie would make a fine purger. Mm, not really the purge type. It's even funnier when you like play as like halflings and do it, <laughs> or some similar race. Well, you don't have to purge. You just play halflings and humiliate everybody else. And it's great. Oh, of course. Although they, they got buffed, so like it's not as impressive to win with them anymore. So that's less fun. Oh, now it's like goblins and kobolds are the worst militaries uh, by a margin, too, until like very late game. But I like goblins. <laughs> it's funny to beat things down as goblins. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 sound clips. Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the Polycast at thepolycast.net.